Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. From Nola Pizza in the Nola Brewing Tap Room on Chapatula Street in New Orleans, we're Out to Lunch with Peter Rashidi, Tulane University's A.B. Freeman School of Business professor and director of the award-winning Birken Road Reports. It's business, New Orleans style. Hi, I'm Peter Rashidi. Welcome to Out to Lunch. Every single automobile manufacturer in the world is moving towards EVs, electric vehicles. Some car companies have stopped developing internal combustion engines altogether. Others have set target dates for when they expect to be switched over only to delivering EVs. What this means is, eventually, every car and truck on the road is going to run on batteries. Now, Currently, the most common battery is lithium-ion. However, like the fossil fuel that's on the way of replacing, lithium has to be excavated from the Earth. That sets up the obvious issue of supply, which is further complicated by the geopolitics of where exactly on Earth lithium exists. An alternative to lithium is a sodium ion battery. Now, sodium is readily available everywhere, and transitioning will be a relatively painless evolution. Companies that currently make lithium batteries will, will be easily able to switch over to making sodium batteries. But even if we do switch to sodium, how exactly do we charge all these millions of batteries up? Now, right now, to fully charge your car battery takes between 30 minutes and a couple of hours, and unfortunately, there is no other material or element on Earth to make batteries that would charge faster. And that's why Dr. Michael Naguib invented it. It's a material he calls Maxine, which is spelled M-X-E-N-E. -E. Maxines are taking the science world by storm. Scientists around the world are working on developing Maxine technology. Why? because when a Maxine is employed in the manufacture of a sodium battery, the battery can be fully charged in a matter of minutes. The significance of this discovery is impossible to overstate. The coming revolution that Maxines are ushering in is really extraordinary. What is equally extraordinary is Dr. Michael Naguib, the person who discovered Maxines, is a professor of science and engineering at Tulane University here in New Orleans. Michael, welcome out to lunch. Thanks, Peter. Thanks for having me. Okay, so that's your battery-powered vehicle. What about your house? The good news there is you don't have to wait for a revolution. You can get your house off the electric grid today with solar panels. The main obstacle to actually doing that is cost. Most of us can't afford to get solar panels installed on in our home. That's where Tom Nyhart comes in. Tom is founder and CEO of a company called Posigen. Posigen focuses specifically on bringing solar power to low and moderate income families and communities of color. The company is headquartered here in New Orleans, but only about 20% of the business is in Louisiana. Their main markets are now Connecticut, New York, and New Jersey. They're also in Florida, Philadelphia, and Mississippi. These are places, unlike Louisiana apparently, where there are government-driven incentives to switch to solar. Tom Nyhart, welcome out to lunch. Thank you, Peter. Glad to be here. Michael, let's get started by talking about Tesla. They're currently the world's leading manufacturer of EVs, and they're moving toward getting a lot bigger with their investment in the Chinese market. Presumably, Tesla would have the most to gain by switching to a sodium-ion Maxine battery. 
or they'd be scared someone else is going to get that technology first, which would give the competitor a significant advantage. So where does Tesla stand on using your Maxine technology and are there other companies trying to take advantage of Maxine technology to overtake Tesla? Oh, it's a very interesting question. Um, first of all, it's very hard to tell um, what companies are considering for future materials. They wouldn't tell you that. Um, <laughs> because if, you, if they tell you, then competition would be much harder for them. Or they'd so, have to kill you, that would yeah, be the other right. part. Yeah. <laughs> so um, it's hard to know what Tesla is going to do in the near future or in the further future. Um, but what I can tell you is Tesla has already started to move towards sodium-ion battery in general, and one of the battery manufacturer for Tesla in China has already started having sodium-ion battery with lithium-ion battery in the same pack. So uh, moving towards sodium in general has already started with Tesla battery manufacturer um, and, and other battery manufacturer too. So this is about sodium in general. About Maxine specifically, um, it, it's hard to tell, as I said, what, whether they consider it or not, but Maxine can be can be integrated in many parts of the car or it has also applications beyond batteries and cars. So um, whether, for example, it can be used for as current collector for conducting electricity for the electrode for lithium-ion battery. It can be used as conductive additive. It's much more conductor, electrical conductor than any other carbon material. So it can really conduct or carbon additives that people use usually in batteries. So it can conduct electricity much faster. And when we talk about uh, lithium-ion battery or, or electric vehicle in general, people would like to be able to charge the battery very fast. And here where Maxine becomes very interesting because the extremely high conductivity of Maxine and the low diffusion barrier of ions, so ions can move very fast on the surface of Maxine, makes them able to handle very high rates. So in principle, you can charge a battery made or, or a, an energy or a supercapacitor um, device made of Maxine in few seconds. Well, that is exactly the, the hole that needs to be filled here. So this is, this is terrific. Tom, there's no doubt about the individual advantages we'd all experience if we could switch to solar power for our homes. But we'd also be a lot better off if we could get our house painted, our kitchen renovated, and probably most of us would like a summer vacation in Fiji. But realistically, we don't expect the government to subsidize or fulfill any of those expectations. Certainly, masses of us switching to solar power would do a lot more widespread good than taking an island vacation. But in the free market system we live in, why is it in a government's interest to use the public purse to subsidize your company to install solar panels? That's a great question. So when you look at the impact of solar and renewable energy, it's not just the fact that you're getting your power by the sun. It's the fact that you're reducing all the costs around it. You're also reducing the negative costs of burning anything. Whether you're burning coal, you're burning oil, or you know, they talk about clean natural gas, they're still burning natural gas. And natural gas leaks. I mean, uh, a lot of people don't realize that the biggest pollution from natural gas is all the leakage in the systems, in the piping, in the factories that produce it. So you're reducing the impact of that on people's health. You're reducing the impact, of course, in you see all the weather events that we've had. You know, Katrina was a 100-year storm. 16 years later to the day, we got another 100-year storm. That, you know, that math doesn't quite work. And it's not just, you know, taking a look at the environment. It's also the cost of the grid. It's the cost of upgrading. If you're 
producing the power on site, you're not having to use the grid as much. You're not having to buy power from Wyoming that comes through you know, three grids before it gets to MISO and gets here. So as we've looked at the impact of renewables and solar, pretty much everyone, every study done, has said that somewhere between 10 and 15% of the power being generated in distributed generation right on the homes of the, uh, or the roofs of the homes that are using it has a net positive impact in maintenance, in grid, in all the real hard costs that go into it. Now, once you get to somewhere between 10 and 15% penetration, then there is a, a point where solar does need to be contributing to the grid. And I've been one of the few solar companies that have set up and said, hey, it does make sense, but let's get to that point first, right? right? In Louisiana, used to have a great um, program See, for that's what credits. I remembered, right? They did, and it, it allowed Posigen to get in business. We wouldn't be here today if they didn't have one of the better uh, credits in the country. They also had what almost every other state has, which is called retail net metering, which means if I produce more electricity during the middle of the day, when I'm at work and my kids are at school, I sell it back to the grid and they pay me the same 11 cents that I buy it off the grid for. Doesn't take into consideration all those charges, right? If you ever looked at your utility bill, you got this charge, that charge, and you know, here's an extra charge. But your net that you pay for the fuel and for the transmission, they credit that when you give power to them to sell it next door. Then when I come home at the end of the day and I start pulling power off and the sun's gone down, I pay the same amount for it. That's called retail net metering. Louisiana got rid of retail net metering. So today, if I produce too much electricity on my solar system on the middle of a Friday afternoon when power prices are at their peak, I get two cents for every kilowatt I sell back. But then as soon as I turn around, I buy it back in the middle of the evening when power prices are at their cheapest, I'm still paying 11 cents. So not only did they get rid of the actual credit that they paid us to put solar systems up, now they've gotten rid of retail net metering. And so that's why Louisiana is not only 50th out of all 50 states, but it's actually 51st behind the District of Columbia oh, oh, in, wow. in There's, solar policy. I thought the answer was going to be Puerto Rico, but that is a very... Uh, <laughs> Michael, can anyone use Maxine's? What control do, do you have over it? So... Um, Maxine's actually, we invented Maxine or discovered Maxine's during my PhD actually at Drexel University about 10 years ago. I, I was working with uh, my two advisors, Professor Michelle Parsoum and Professor Yuri Gagotzi, and the three of us have the patent for Maxine. And uh, so far, the patent has been licensed, not exclusively, to multiple um, companies. And um, one of them is uh, Murata, which is a big electronics and supercapacitors company in Japan and other companies looking at other applications uh, like dialysis, for example, has already licensed um, the patent. So uh, w w this, is, this is what controls uh, the market and, and that from, that, from that angle. So probably even you don't know what the possible other applications are. No, I do not. This is very true. And um, actually, the companies I mentioned, they don't tell us what applications they specifically, <laughs> we, we almost know but we can't disclose it, what, what applications they work on or, or they want to use Maxine for in the, in the market. Hopefully, it will be in the market in, within a few years, um, but I, I can't tell what application. So, <laughs> and, 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 and the world is, is, is very broad in terms of applications for this wonderful material that we started for lithium-ion battery, and now many, many applications beyond lithium-ion battery, like electromagnetic interference shielding, like when with your phone, you don't, nowadays you don't hear lots of beeping when, uh, with, if it, 
when you have your phone um, getting a signal or getting a call, you used to hear lots of beeping in the radio or TV. This is less now because the phone companies use something called electromagnetic interference shielding. Maxine was found to overperform with a state-of-the-art electromagnetic interference shielding. So there are many applications that we didn't expect when we invented Maxine, but they are coming up. I'm going to be a lot more interesting at parties. So is Maxine used from the power source to what you're charging? It's the conduit for the power to come across? Or are you actually inserting Maxine into the battery itself so the, uh, you've got a higher absorption rate? Oh, it's a very good question. Actually, it can be both. So since it's, it has very high electrical conductivity, it can be used as a current collector where it just collects the currents, the electrons, right. from and to the electrodes. But also, it can store ions themselves. So we use them as electrode materials inside the battery to store ions, uh, like for example sodium or lithium or ionic well, What's liquids. the capacity compared to that, right? So I understand the conduit side, that makes sense, you're able to charge the battery that much uh, quicker, but but what is its capacity and what's its retention compared to so, lithium and, and sodium? Very good question. So in terms of capacity compared to uh, the state of the art or, or the commercial electrode we have now, and as on the anode side is graphite. Graphite has a capacity of 370 uh, milliampere per gram. So capacity is how much you can store in. You can think right. of capacity as how large is your tank. So um, Maxine has a comparable capacity in that range of, of uh, milliampere per grams, but it outperforms graphite significantly and any other anode materials in terms of rate handling capability. So for example, you cannot charge graphite in two minutes, for example. You would need hours to charge the battery, and that's why it takes a long time to charge your phone. Uh, but with Maxine Electrode, you can charge your phone or your battery completely in a few minutes. And you don't get the same capacity when you go to this very high rates. You get almost one-third of the capacity of graphite, but still, it's a good deal. You charge in a few minutes, and you get one-third of the capacity. So there is a compromise on the capacity when you go to this extreme high rate, but the fact that it can handle these rates this is the outstanding part. So would you use it as a concentration within the battery that then would, would charge the materials around it, right? So you, you supercharge the Maxine, which then allows that charge to be infused into the sodium and the lithium. So it basically is discharging it into that and then recharging it again? So whether it will be in the same cell or it will be hybrid cells next to each other, it's, it's a different story. But I, I do think that the answer is not in one technology. So it can be a supercapacitor uh, paired with a battery, for example. A supercapacitor of Maxine paired with a sodium ion battery or, or with a lithium ion battery. And so this way you can charge the supercapacitor very fast and then you can start infusing this to the battery later on at much slower rates. And without going into your patents or anything like that, the materials for Maxine are they organic? Are they mineral? They, no, no, I can, no, I can say they are inorganic. They are titanium. So one of the most famous Maxine is titanium carbide. The family of Maxine so far, there are more than 40 different compositions have been uh, published by other people. Before, by, by the time I was graduating, I, I made 12 of them. But by now, there are more than 40, and hundreds are expected to be stable. But as I said, one of the most studied one is titanium carbide-based Maxine. And titanium is... is 
is common. It, you have titanium oxide painting all <coughs> over the world, right? right? So it, it is not a very rare earth material or very um, rare commodity that you can't reach. So you can make them easily and in large quantity. So people make them in kilograms quantity now. So it, scaling up is, is not a problem with this material compared to other, many other exotic nanomaterials. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Peter Raschuti. I'm talking with scientist Dr. Michael Nagib, the discoverer of Maxine's material that are changing the course of our battery-powered future, and Tom Nyhart from solar power company Posigen. Tom, is there anything in this technology that would help on your side with solar panels? Oh, absolutely. As, as you think about what we're doing right now, right, uh, storage makes all the difference in the world. One, one is you know, as, as much as Entergy and, and some of the other investor-owned utilities would like to see solar go away completely, when we're able to pair storage with it, then whatever we overproduce during the day, then we can self-consume at night. And, you know, until they put a sun tax on us, which uh, <laughs> I, I, I won't put it past them. I know what a sun tax uh, is. Yeah, they... so um, that makes all the difference. And, and, you know, as you saw post-Ida, so many people without power, people dying because they had gas generators from carbon monoxide. We actually had more people die from carbon monoxide and accidents that were related to, to generators than died in the storm of Ida. And, and that's tragic. And so we had not done a lot with storage down here. One, there was no incentive. Um, two, it's, is, you know, the retail cost of electricity is pretty inexpensive in Louisiana. Although, you know, that, that's what the, the um, Public Service Commission always says, we have one of the lowest costs of retail electricity in the country. We also have the highest utility bills in the country because our <laughs> homes are so inefficient the utility bills that we have in Louisiana are larger than anywhere else in the country. And because we're not investing in the homes and doing the energy efficiency work, which is one of the things that PosGen feels is key to any solution. Now, Tom, but, tell me something that's been, that I've been thinking about ever since I looked at the research, is you're focused on uh, lower income communities, communities of color. Is there some math there that makes that a, um, a, a more important to them than uh, a wealthy family? Well, first, it's the right thing to do. Right. Right. Nobody's been helping those families for so long. I've been taking advantage of, especially post-storms, how many people come in and take a deposit from or say they're going to oh, do absolutely. this work. They do shoddy work, and, and they're gone, right? You know, we've been here for 10 years, over 10 years now, and, and we're not going anywhere. But, yeah, it does make sense. If you think about the fact that, you know, I don't know what your utility bill is, but it probably doesn't even measure on the scale of your take-home pay. The average community of color or low-income community in the United States spends over 7% of their gross income on their utility bill. Okay, average community, okay. Average low-income community or community of color. In the greater New Orleans area, there's over 20,000 families that spend over 26% of their income on their utility bill. Whether they're on fixed income, they're retired, they're blue-collar workers, whatever it is. But their homes, the the... The age of the housing stock down here is so old. We've gone into a 1,300-square-foot home, shotgun home. I remember Mr. Maroney. His bill was over $380 a month oh. to cool that tiny little house. And, wow. you know, we went in, we put a solar system up, and, and that did some good. But we went in and we did the renovation work, the energy efficiency work. And the first thing we do is we seal the outside of the home. So all that air that's being exchanged between the interior and the exterior of the home is cut down. Then we go up and we see all the ductwork. We see 5,000, 6,000, you imagine a square cube of air, five to 6,000 cubic feet of air per minute air exchange in some of these older homes or higher. We see 75% 
of the air conditioning and heating being lost to bad duct work up in the up in the attic. So the first two things that we do is we seal the home, then we seal all the ductwork, and we seal the non-heated areas from the from the living areas, and put in a programmable thermostat, LED light bulbs, and you know we we do 15 to 20 different um, energy efficiency upgrades. But, but can and these that's where we get the big savings. Yeah, can these people afford what you're talking about? The maybe the new roof or whatever. Not it is? yet. Well, the roofs are not included, okay. but uh, we do roofing. We do, because what we do is, I tell people all the time, solar sexy, it gets us in the front door. And we say, hey, we're going to create power with the sun. But then we're going to do all this energy efficiency work. And we roll it all into one, so they don't pay us any money up front. And that's, that's the most interesting thing about our transactions. There's no money up front. We install the solar system. We do all the energy efficiency work. And they just pay us one, one flat fee a month. For the next 20 years and during that 20 years they're getting the savings from the energy efficiency they're getting the production of the solar and every year when their utility bill goes up because most years you see an increase we keep the same fee we don't ever raise our prices to our consumer and so their savings continue to grow over the years and you know we're 10 years in now and some of our people that got those solar systems 10 years ago are replacing them now with even more efficient ones and we don't charge them anything. We take the system off and put the new, bigger system on or the more efficient system. And, and they're still the, seeing those savings. For the most part, are they buying the solar panels or are they leasing them? In our case, they're leasing them. Okay. They're leasing them. And th there's a number of reasons that go with that. Uh, one is, you know, you got a 30%, uh, well, now it's 26% federal tax credit. If you don't owe the federal government money, you can't take that credit. It's not okay, refundable. Great. Right, so a lot of lower income or, or uh, middle income families can't do that. But the other thing is, look, we just had Ida hit. Every one of our solar systems, we insured. So we didn't lose a lot. I mean, it was amazing because the I-55 corridor is, you know, that, that's, that's our, our grounds. We've got, you know, 12,000 solar systems down here in Louisiana. We lost, complete loss, I think we had 36 or 38 systems. Damaged systems, we had less than 200. Now, we have 3,000 solar systems that had to be removed so their uh, roof work could be done. But we did video and, and drone shots showing that where the solar system was, the roof was intact. It was only where the solar systems weren't that there was roof damage for the most part. And so we're removing those solar systems, putting up a roof in most cases, and then putting a solar system back on. But you know, I can tell you, trying to do 3,000 of those in a fairly short period of time, uh, I, I appreciate our customers are being patient with us because it's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Michael, I gotta, this is a non sequitur in all this, but you work with undergrads at the university. <laughs> People of your prestige usually don't do that. No, this is the most joyful part of my job is interacting with undergrads. Um, I, I teach at, at Tulane, as you said, and we have wonderful undergraduate students, very smart kids, um, very enthusiastic about research and about science. And actually, I, I hire them as summer interns in the beginning, and eventually they stay in my lab till they graduate. So, for example, I had two undergraduate students who were biomedical engineers. Um, they took my uh, material science and engineering course, and towards the end of the course, I told the students, this is the research I do. If anyone is interested, let me know. Then. 20 students came said we are interested. I, I cannot. I cannot have 20 students in my lab. So I started to talk them out of it <laughs> and try. I started actually not really talking them out, but just trying to make sense with them that whoever is interested in graduate school, this may be a very good opportunity. And I personally prefer the student who would stay with me beyond the summer. 
And, and then I, I managed to narrow down the numbers till I got down to three students. Two of those three students continued and decided to get a master's degree in material science and engineering. And they are working now. So remember, they are biomedical engineering. They are working. One of them works at Tesla. And one of them work at a startup battery uh, manufacturing company here in, uh, at Vano in New Orleans. So because of the hands-on experience they gained in my lab. So it is one of the most rewarding experiences is working with undergraduate students and see the progress in their um, skills and their capabilities and doing research. They can do research on their own. So, no, it is, it is lots of fun. I enjoy this part. Well, that is... Uh, now, Tom, how do I get a solar panel sub subsidy? How does that work? So there's, a, <clears throat> there's an investment tax credit that occurs. And with, uh, with the POSGEN lease, we go ahead and apply for that solar investment tax credit. So we net that out of your lease. That's why you only pay us the you know, $69 or uh, $59 that you pay us each month that covers your solar and your energy efficiency and all the maintenance and insurance and service. Because for the entire 20 years you have it, it's, it's headache free for you. We, we just take care of everything. Um, you know, and, and look, a lot of states that you go in are very invested in trying to be part of the renewable uh, future. They're they're trying to reduce carbon output. They're trying to um, they're trying to save the environment, and along the way, they're trying to improve people's health. And so, there are a number of states that have uh, in uh, different incentives to go along with it. it so you get you get like a federal government situation, right. and then state by state, it's different. Right. So, the state of Connecticut read about the work that we were doing down here in Louisiana. Uh, Louisiana has one very interesting distinction. They have more solar systems in low-income communities and communities of color as a percentage of total installations than any other state in the country. And Connecticut found out about that, and they found out it was Posigen, and they put together a very special um, incentive that was focused on helping low-income families, and it was for both the energy efficiency and the solar. And so that's why we went to Connecticut. And now Mississippi is doing the exact same thing. And it, you know, it's always sad to say when Mississippi is kicking Louisiana's butt, but the Public Service Commission up there took a look at it and said, yeah, we want to invest in solar, especially for low-income families. We want to invest in energy efficiency for low-income families. And they're writing some rules that are uh, going to allow POSGEN to put a lot of operations up in Mississippi, too. Well, I'm glad that's spreading. Michael, you've invented Maxine. Like, what on earth would be next for you personally? Oh, um, interesting question. Um, as I mentioned earlier, uh, we invented Maxine like 10 years ago. Um, my excitement in research is developing new materials. This is where is, is I get very excited whenever we work and try to make something completely new. No one made it before. So Maxine is, is one of the biggest thrust of research we have within my group, but we also try to develop other new materials. Um, and also we try to, other new materials for energy storage and conversion beyond lithium-ion batteries. Um, also we work on trying to make materials cheaper, safer, try to recycle materials that we can use and make use of it for energy application. One example that, for example, one of my students was working on uh, recycling crawfish shells and try make, <laughs> making carbon materials out of that that we can use for sodium-ion battery. And it, it does store energy. So it, it is, so the world is not only on Maxine for me, it's other materials as well. Um, but on Maxine, uh, as, as one of the main thrusts we have within my research group at Tulane, 
So we still do material discovery, we still discover new vaccines, but we try to focus more on fundamental understanding. And for example, very recently, uh, we were studying the effect of spacing, how, how much we can space the layers away from each other to achieve certain energy density or energy storage capacity. And it was a very fundamental study funded by the Department of Energy, basic energy science. So it was not with applied side in mind, but we're just looking at the fundamental effect of despacing or the spacing between the layers on the performance. And we found actually that we can control the spacing at and at certain point around 2.2 nanometer. Then we have outstanding high capacitance when we test Maxine in something called room temperature ionic liquid, which is an electrolyte system that's much more safer than lithium-ion batteries and has large voltage window. And we can handle very high rates. So we achieve energy density of lithium-ion battery, but with power density, which is an order of magnitude higher than lithium-ion battery. So th this is, for example, it was starting with fundamental, and then we get uh, interesting application, and we get interesting performance. You had, you had me at crawfish shells, to really, to <laughs> yeah. be honest yeah. with you. They, Tom, we touched on this yeah. a little now bit. Now I don't have to haul them out to the trash. Uh, yeah, this is great. Michael, Michael, just come say, Michael yeah, shells. we just had a boil, <laughs> and uh, they, Tom, we mentioned this a little bit um, uh, earlier about how the federal government has rules and like, probably changes with each president and such, but um, states are kind of on their own. Um, how does Louisiana size up? Well, like I said, you know, Louisiana used to be one of the states where they were encouraging solar, right? And you think about Louisiana being an energy That's state. That's right. I thought that was Yeah, odd. I mean, it's gas, it's oil, it's wind, it's solar, it's geothermal, it's every type of energy. I actually had a, a Louisiana state senator tell me one time, we don't need all that solar and those windmilly things. Louisiana is a dirty state. And Louisiana, <laughs> Louisiana is a dirty state because it needs to be. And the U.S. needs Louisiana to be a dirty state. It's wow. Like, no, we don't. We have the highest Jeez. levels of cancer. We have Cancer wow. Alley right what here. What a bad slogan for a bumper sticker. Yeah. Louisiana, the That's dirty right. State. Vote for me. I'm going to keep your state dirty. <laughs> I mean, what, what are people talking about? And it's not just that they got rid of the, the actual tax credit because, you know, before they got rid of the tax credit, we had 220 solar companies in the state of Louisiana. We had over 6,000 jobs. They completely eliminated. They didn't just reduce it. They completely eliminated the solar credit. They didn't eliminate film credit. They didn't eliminate all these others. Well, the solar businesses went away. I mean, I think there's probably two dozen solar businesses, but it didn't happen overnight, right? Because they still had retail net metering. So we found ways, especially at Posigen, we said, okay, how do we have a business that survives without the government subsidies, which is very important. And so we figured out how to get there and how to continue to offer good savings to our consumers. And then they came back and, you know, Eric Scrimetta with the PSC said, well, that's a subsidy. It's not a subsidy when we're giving power to the grid and we're being paid for it, right? It's not subsidized. And that's like saying the $9 million a year you pay to Energy's CEO is a subsidy. It's a cost of doing business. It's a cost of doing business the right way. And so if we could bring back retail net metering in Louisiana, we could bring back thousands of jobs. There's only, what, four residential, five residential solar companies left in Louisiana. Really, Why from are the we numbers you, you talked yeah. about before, that's amazing. From over 6,000 jobs, why are we shipping jobs outside the state? Why is Louisiana, which is a you know homegrown company, 
that closed on $100 million worth of equity last year to expand not in Louisiana, but in states all around the country. Why is that money not staying in Louisiana? I would love to see the Public Service Commission, which um, you know, serve, uh, Commissioner Green is now uh, the commissioner of, or the, uh, the uh, president of the, the commission, I'd like to see them revisit their policies around net metering. Hopefully the only state do. in the union has this bad of net metering rules. And Michael, I've got to ask you, Maxine was apparently the name of an ex-girlfriend? Is that... <laughs> oh, no, no. <laughs> not, not really. <laughs> you put me in trouble now. No, <laughs> uh, no, no, no. Uh, so, um, Had to ask. <laughs> yeah, Maxine is actually... We started making Maxine from a material called Max Phase. And we remove a layer, atomic thin metal layer, which is the A in the max. So we remove A and we put the suffix in to stress similarity to graphene, which is a single atomic thick layer of carbon, which is a building block of graphite, to stress the 2D or two-dimensionality of the material. So not a girlfriend. <laughs> Michael and Tom, there are a lot of reasons people listen to Out to Lunch. They're stuck in their car, they're sick of listening to Pandora, or maybe interested in local business and, and wondering what they might find out about what's going on in New Orleans. I would hazard a guess that very few of our listeners are turning to this show expecting me to reveal planet Earth's path to the future of energy. Nor would many people, uh, including myself, have suspected that the path to a fossil fuel-free, battery-powered planet runs through uptown New Orleans. But Michael, thanks to your groundbreaking work from your perch at, at Tulane University, that's where we are. And Tom, your dedication to democratizing solar power, while it might not be in quite the same Nobel Prize type stratosphere uh, is no less vitally important to millions of people who benefit from it. Michael and Tom, I don't think it's any exaggeration to say this has been a uniquely eye-opening and educational conversation over pizza. Thank you both for taking the time to join me today on Out to Lunch. Thanks for having us. Thank you, Peter. That was good pizza, too. <laughs> Can't take credit there. My guests on Out to Lunch today have been Dr. Michael Naguib. He's the Ken and Ruth Arnold Early Career Professor in Science and Engineering at Tulane University and discoverer of the novel material known as Maxine and Tom Nyhart, founder and CEO of Posigen. We edited the show to fit into the time slot here on WWNO. You can hear our unedited conversation and find out more about Michael, Tom, affordable solar power, and the future of planet Earth by listening to the Out to Lunch podcast. You can find and subscribe to the Out to Lunch podcast uh, anywhere you get podcasts and on our website, um, itsneworleans.com. If you want to know what we look like, you can find photos from this show on itsneworleans.com and on our Out to Lunch social media. These photos were taken today by Jill LaFleur. You can find more of Jill's photos at lafleurphoto.com. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com and WWNO. 89.9 FM. The producer of our show is Grant Morris, our technical producer is Eric Merle, and our researcher is Maggie Mendel. I'm Peter Raschuti. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week at the lunch table for more business, New Orleans style on Out to Lunch. Out to Lunch was recorded live over lunch at the NOLA Brewing Tap Room, 3001 Chapatula Street, open seven days a week. NOLA Brewing Tap Room has a wide variety of craft beers and authentic hand-tossed New York-style city pizza by NOLA Pizza. More information is at nolabrewing.com.
Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear Mitchell's music anywhere great jazz is sold or streamed and at MitchellForeman.com.